Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning and welcome to Dirt Radio. You're on 3CR. My name's Phil Evans. We're very excited to be here at 9.30am on a Tuesday. Um, It has been a pretty exciting time for Dirt Radio moving around. And today we've got a very exciting guest in the studio with us. And we're going to be talking about community organising. We've got Tria Manley from the Wilderness Society. Welcome, Tria. Good morning, Phil. So, Tria, tell us, how did you get involved in activism? Well, I'd always kind of dabbled in protests back in New Zealand, you know, did some marches with Greenpeace and went and did some rallies and such like, but it wasn't until I moved to Australia in 2012 that I really had the world of activism opened up to me, mostly through the Wilderness Society and, funnily enough, starting as a face-to-face fundraiser with them. I sort of fell into this job as one of those people on the street corners talking to people and encouraging them to give money to a really good cause. Oh, we all know them. Yep. <laughs> great, great effort from those people. Um, but it was kind of getting involved in the forest campaign and realising that we could do more than just sit there and sign petitions and that the power of people to make change is actually something really significant. And it was a combination of the forest campaigns, getting out there, actually seeing what's going on and the devastation, um, and also being involved in a campaign to help protect James Price Point and the Kimberley, and then a massive collaborative community effort that won that and kicked out these huge oil and gas companies and really proved to me that people power works, and that was really the catalyst for me. Absolutely, and um, definitely at Friends of the Earth, we share that uh, feeling that um, people power does work. And it's been really interesting watching um, a kind of revolution go on around the entire environmental movement and embracing this uh, this concept, which um, really uh, I can remember the, some of the early conversations with the Sierra Club when they came across and uh, the movement came together and, and, and met with um, those folks. And we started talking about this concept called community organising, which has been around is in, in traditions around in Australian organising, but was kind of new to the environmental movement. But for many people, it's a bit of a uh, just one of those uh, industry buzzwords. Mm. So what is community organising? It's a good question. And I think if you ask an organiser, um, you'll probably get a different answer every time. But for me, community organising is about showing people that they have the ability to get up and do something themselves and delivering them the skills to do that and the support to do that. Um, and it's about sustained growth and sustained power building rather than this sort of flash in a pan mobilisation actions that might, you know, tackle an issue at a time, but then it dies back down. This is about actually delivering this power to people and making that a long-term um, development so that they can continue to do that, even if, you know, myself as a community organiser doesn't stay there for the whole time. 
Absolutely. And and then that's uh, one of the kind of real key elements of community organizing for me is that idea that it's not about uh, um, the campaigners or top-down models that is holding it together. What is really holding it together is the values and the desire to really meet those objectives together as a community. Totally. Um, we're not really a, a top-down sort of organization at the Wilderness Society. Not that most other organizations are either, but it's very much for us about kind of almost decentralising, setting up this, we call it a daisy model, you can call it you know, many other things, but it's about local groups that are empowered to do their own thing and then they go off and they do that um, autonomously, which is quite exciting. And I, mean, I don't know, maybe in 10, 20 years' time we won't exist as an organisation as we did before. We can't really tell, but it's quite, yeah, exciting. Absolutely. Mm. Um, the, the Wilderness Society has kind of um, been one of those organisations that's really embraced community organising. Can you kind of outline some of the kind of uh, organisational changes that have happened through this revolution? Yeah, definitely. We realised a few years ago that we needed to build power um, because the jobs, I think we all know this in the movement, the job's too big for one or 10 or 20 or 100 of us. So we invested a lot of time and effort and energy into this community organising program called Movement for Life. Um, which starts with a two-day introduction into the fundamentals of community organising, then goes into a five-day advanced training that people can apply for, and then a train-the-trainer training. How many times can I say training? (laughs) Um, But the point being that people will go through the entire program and then they can start delivering the program themselves in a year's time or ten years' time. And we significantly invested in that. We've got this vision to grow the movement by 100,000 active supporters by 2020, and that's how we're doing it. We have someone who worked in the Obama campaign in 2008, so the program is kind of designed on that sort of um, that methodology, and it seems to be working. We're about a year and a half in now, and we've had nearly 500 people go through the two-day training, um, and we're just starting to see people who have gone through the five-day and the train-the-trainer. So coming out the other side, I co-train with them now. Mm. Yeah. And, and I wonder about that on, on twofolds. I just wanted to um, pick up on um, on how is this different to social movement building, which people are more familiar with um, in the environmental movement. Um, is this more about uh, really honing in on specific communities and, and growing it from there? Yeah, we do have, at the moment, organising areas that we focus on based on people who are not so active in the movement but who, through statistical analysis, should be or seem to have those interests and the shared values that we do. So we focus on those particular areas. And it is important to sort of focus on the fact that it is about values-based communication. So at face value, people might be different. We might not be talking to people who look like ourselves anymore. Um, But that's one of the critical things that we need to do to grow this movement is to start speaking outside of our own echo chamber Um, because we're good at that, but we need to be better (laughs) at speaking more broadly because I think we can all agree that environmental action is not something that should be politicised and it's something that affects everyone on this planet. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also wanted to go back to, um, you mentioned uh, things about training the trainer. Um, mm. what's, how did you uh, become trained up as a community organiser? What sort of courses did you do? Um, I did a few different courses. Uh, I did a really great one called the Change Course through um, Friends of the Earth and Counteract. Oh, that was fantastic, it wasn't was it? It was brilliant, yeah. No, it actually <laughs> really was. It gave me a lot of confidence and showed me that I was actually capable of doing these things, even though I have an arts degree and a background of working in the telecommunications industry. I didn't um, ever really realised that I was able to learn these skills myself. So that that really kick-started me. Um, and I've done some other bits and pieces. I haven't done the Change Agencies Fellowship in community organising yet, but I very much would like to do that. They've got some really fantastic 
materials, um, but there was a lot of training through work. They put, sent me through different training programs, did a leadership development one, and then um, I did the fundamentals of community organising that we did about a year and a half ago when we first started, and I've done the Train the Trainer as well. Because mm, there has been a real proliferation in um, community organising training that I've seen around. Um, you mentioned um, there was the Change Agency's Community Organising Fellowship, which I highly recommend as a, as a former... Uh, or whatever, part of the former cohort. <laughs> there was specific language I was trying to remember. Um, I've also seen that um, Plan to Win um, mm. have been running community organising training around. So there seems to be no real shortage of um, opportunities for people to get involved, which is really exciting to see the environmental movement start to move from that more traditional campaigner-centric kind of campaigning down to to uh, that real people power model. Um, I wondered, like, uh, it's probably still a little bit vague what it looks like out on the ground, what community organising looks and feels like. Maybe we could discuss what it's not. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what it's not is me sitting in my office telling people to go out and do things for the Wilderness Society. Um, there are definitely volunteers who come through and help us with our campaigns. But for us, it's very much about helping people design their own campaigns around a local issue. Um, one of our local groups up around Sydney uh currently working on their council to divest from fossil fuels so that's definitely not a wilderness society campaign but they have our support and they have the training that we we delivered to them um and they're doing some really powerful stuff in their own community um also what it's not is just mobilizing people at a rally or getting people to do sort of snap actions mm. um i've mentioned before but it's about sustained growth for for us and about building that power and keeping it there no matter what's happening in the, the campaign space. Yeah, and many will be familiar with the uh, theorist, uh, Sol, uh, theorist and practitioner, <laughs> Sol Alinsky, um, who um, wrote prolifically about uh, community organising and uses the example of uh, when a community comes together to like you know find that issue that you can win together, like the stop sign issue before mm-hmm. moving on to those bigger and, and more huge issues. Um, in Australia, uh, we've seen uh, quite a bit of community organising going on um, through the Lock the Gate model. I wonder, um, was that was that a source of inspiration for the Wilderness Society? I would say so, and it was definitely a source of inspiration for me. Um, seeing communities come together, especially regional communities and people who weren't traditionally allies, working together was incredibly powerful. And then mm. to see the win with Victoria declared gas field free was just phenomenal. And we have similar sort of act um, groups in New Zealand working on the ground, but Lock the Gate in Australia in particular has just been outstanding. Mm, and yeah. the, the fight continues on. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's uh, tragic what's going on up in the, in Queensland and the New South Wales around that sort of stuff. Um, when we come back from a little quick break, uh, it'll be great to go through a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of what community organising looks like on the ground. But for now, let's hear a few community service announcements. We're talking about ecological thinning and subsidised longing, but we basically mean the same things, don't we, here? Wherever there are chemical corporations around the world, they're constantly trying to chip away at regulations. Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories, from developments in government and industry to the campaigns and communities that are standing up to them. Earth Matters plays at 11am Sunday and 6.30am Wednesday. Turn your dial to 855am or listen online at 
3cr.org.au. While the headlines have subsided, the nuclear power plant is still not under control, with the spent fuel rods removed from only one out of four reactors. Law needs to change so that uh, our rights can be recognised, so that decisions in relation to the use and exploitation of our lands is out. Uh, hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. I've, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. La, 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 Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. La, 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 la. A 3CR supporter. And I know I'll be having lunch there today. Um, and perhaps my guest, Artria Manley from the Wilderness Society, will be joining me for lunch. Probably not, though. I'd love to. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking to Tria Manley. She's a community organiser and one of the trainers with the Movements for Life campaign. Oh, ooh, what do I call it? Well, it is a campaign, actually. Yeah, a yeah. campaign um, out of the Wilderness Society, our good friends over there. We were just talking about community organising, what it is, what it isn't, what are um, some of the kind of the background kind of understandings about what makes it up. But I really wanted to drill into detail a little bit and kind of give people a sense of what are some of the skills that community organisers possess and what are some of those like really fundamental ones? The ability to tell a story, I'd say, is one of the key things. Um, Our own personal story is a really powerful way to connect with people, especially if we don't necessarily have um, common ground that we can identify at the outset. And not just being able to tell a compelling story, but being able to relate that to the person you're speaking with. And at the same time as relating to that, being able to listen to what they care about, and that's how you tap into what their values might be. You know, there are issues and concerns that people have, but underlying all of that is a much more deep-seated um, drives that we have, and that comes from our values. Um, we all, I think, appreciate the security of clean food and clean food, clean water, fresh food, and you know, security for our families and our loved ones. And once you sort of start speaking at that level and what the threats are that there are presented to that security, um, for example, or it might just be a general love of nature. People might just enjoy it for its own sake. Mm. Um, And not just, yeah, so being able to tell your own story. We also have to be able to ask people to do things and there's a specific structure that can you you follow that's more effective in getting people to do what you want, which sounds kind of manipulative, but it's something that really just helps us communicate more effectively as human beings. And I'm interested, what do you call it? Making an effective ask. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that, oh, that's that's much nicer than the old, uh, I've heard it described as the one-on-one or the relational Oh, yeah, no, we do, have, we do have that terminology as well, the one-on-ones and relationals. But I try not to use that language as much as I can because while it's very descriptive and useful, um, it can venture very quickly into the land of jargon. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that much to people if you say, start talking about relational conversations unless you've had that training. Mm. Um, but... And, and, and it's interesting anyway, I mean, the things that we're talking about thus far, being able to tell your personal story, mm-hmm. um, being able to have an, a, a conversation where you actively listen and and, uh, and kind of have a, there's always an objective to a conversation, let's be honest, about mm-hmm. human society. But these are really fundamental human skills. And that's kind of the beauty of this model of organising is the way that it's actually just tapping into those real human connections and experiences that we have and really 
we're about rebuilding communities and rebuilding that community power that that we all uh, we all think about uh, having had in the past. But like in reality, like you know, we're actually forging together a new frontier. So definitely, and we do look at power as well. What it is. Um, it comes from the Latin word to be able to do something. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to dominate something or someone. It's just the ability to do something. And I think one of the keys is to understand where power lies and how we can shift it. Mm. So we definitely look at how to do that. What are the influences? What are the arenas that we're working in in the public and the private sphere? And we also look at how to structure campaigns and how to actually identify what a shared vision is that people have. Because I think a lot of campaigns have fallen apart over the years because people don't actually work towards the same thing we Mm. all think we've got the same vision but we maybe have different things that we're fighting for yeah absolutely um it's it's hard to uh it's hard to make sure that we're all on the same page unless we're actually out there having those conversations as well yeah so what about uh like um the actual way so uh the lock the gate campaign for example um we did see rallies and mobilizations like Mm. that do they play a part of a community organizing strategy yeah, definitely. They're really great tactics to use um, at certain points, especially if you want to create public awareness. But you also want to look at things like having those conversations by door knocking or getting out there and speaking to people, getting on the phone and talking to people, lobbying politicians at key times. And yeah, I think that's an extremely important. So rallies do play a part, but they can't be the only thing that you would use, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. Well, and, and it's so uh, so many different campaigns we've seen where there um, there are so many rallies out on the street. Especially when you live in Melbourne, it feels like um, every weekend you could spend uh, both days at a rally of some sort. Um, it's great to be able to get out and actually go down to where you're having um, uh, conversations one on one with people, which are really the most effective. I always um, used to think about a kind of hierarchy of the way we talk to people, you know, on the radio at the moment, you can hear my voice. And so that's great. But if you could actually see my eyes in a conversation, you know, we're going to get so much more of a human connection and, and be able to like um, really get a lot more done if we actually sit face to face in a room. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I did love the most about the Lock the Gate campaigning was going out to regional communities. I think there's definitely historically been this perception that people in the city have this idea and they'll talk to people in regional areas without really having a clue about what their day-to-day life is. So taking the time to go down and actually listen to what their concerns are was so that's just absolutely vital. Mm, absolutely. And the the process of uh, surveying through that um uh through that the community <laughs> through the Colin Gasfrey Victorian communities campaign and uh, wider across Australia, um, there was a lot of um, probes or um, kind of experiments put out to see how it would work outside of that direct face-to-face model. And it just really showed that the power of really, you know, making that time and going out and having that conversation really is a thousand times more better mm. than just sending out a flyer or uh, an email on the on the internet, you know. Inviting like, someone to something on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we um, used to um, have a, a, a sign-up in the office, uh, direct action, more effective than a Facebook status. And I think in this case, like, it's a, a good conversation, more effective than, you know, like in a, than a Snapchat or, a, or an Instagram post. So. Absolutely. And one of the things we incorporate into our community organising program, we call them house parties, but you can call it a gathering of any kind, really inviting people together to have those meaningful conversations and asking them to take action together. Mm. Um, And that's a model that is designed to recruit and build power, um, Mm. but also to get people more involved. And also, to be honest with you, based on my own experience of speaking to people in regional areas, showing people that they're not alone. Mm. 
Because often in these places, people might feel isolated and they don't know where their networks are. And so we actually have that ability to bring them together, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of the things uh, within the, the Lock the Gate and the Coal and Gas Free Victoria situation was when there was those initial meetings in communities and people got in together, they sat in a room together and they realised that they weren't alone. Mm. And then um, always would come the question at the end of who wants to live in a gas field free community and people would raise their hands. And that being one of like, you know, those moments of, look they even mm. got the, the goosebumps because i've been in the room when that question's been asked and it is just amazing to see people look around and realize that they are not alone in this um struggle and that their values and their uh the things that they want to see their community um, do or how their community looks um that's actually shared widely amongst them and i think that's a really powerful thing Absolutely. And I really got the sense of that when I watched the Bentley effect recently and just seeing those huge community meetings with hundreds of people there and their elected representatives standing up to them and telling them what they believed. And it was just so clear that the community was wildly opposed to coal seam gas up there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, I wonder like uh, around other sorts of tactics. So um, let's get right down into tactics. Mm -hmm. So people get that kind of sense of uh, what sort of skills they can um, expect to learn from um, any of the community organising trainings that we mentioned, or specifically the Movement for Life one. Mm -hmm. Um, What sort of tactics are most likely to be the ones that people like kind of get the skills of? We start with some pretty basic ones, so how to have a one-on-one conversation, um, how to do letter writing, how to lobby your MP. We actually do separate training for how to request a meeting with your MP and how to run that really effectively. Um, we do door knocking exercises. We do phone call, community, we call it community calling, also known as phone banking <laughs> exercises. Um, and we take it from there as well. We also do campaign strategy. So we look at what are the other tactics that you might use on this we call it the tactics on the strategy staircase, which could include anything. Yeah. Sounds precarious. <laughs> <I know. laughs> well, a lot of the time people mistake tactics for strategy. So you mm. start going out there and doing all these cool, wild, amazing things that like maybe you want to go and blockade somewhere because that's going to be an effective tactic. Um, but it may not be necessarily the thing that would move your campaign to where it needs to be at that particular time. So we look at what is a good timeline. How do you start escalating? Maybe you've been knocking on doors for a long time now, but you're not seeing any movement in the direction of where you need to be. Your decision makers aren't being persuaded. So you might want to start doing some more, um, I don't want to say extreme activities, but we definitely look at anything from door knocking through to nonviolent direct action when it's appropriate. Um, so these are all of the different things that people we cover in our skills development yeah, absolutely. in the two-day training that we won't teach you how to lock on we'll teach you some of the more <laughs> <laughs> lower barrier no, not taking it that far yet <laughs> not yet no. uh, and and that's you know like really critical like um, i think like uh, most people's um, understanding of uh, the the tactical layout is that it needs to be, have that like kind of escalatory totally. nature you can't go out there and hit them with a sledgehammer first of all you first got to tap them on the shoulder and let them know that there's an issue going on and and it's a huge part of uh, of the general non violence that is generally accepted amongst the environment movement is mm. really that you have to be given an opt-out before you know like you can escalate really on on that point and start to uh express any sort of uh outrage or frustration until you've at least gone through the process in in some meaningful or some sort of way um and then really like you can start to escalate and look at what sort of tactics are appropriate to move the particular people and every decision maker is different so absolutely yeah yeah. Fantastic. Um, 
I want to thank you so much for coming in, Tria. It's been fantastic to hear about um, what's going on at the Wilderness Society. But um, first I wanted to, if people are interested in getting involved in Movements for Life, which, as I understand it, is a free training. It is is free. That's right. My favourite price. I know. Fantastic. Um, how would they go about getting involved, Tria? Going to wilderness.org.au and then click on Build a Movement. Um, we list all of our trainings up there. Just register online and we'll be in touch to give you all the details that you need to know. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me.